Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Finally, finally, your ballots are either delivered or otherwise on the way, and it's time to vote. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, politics reporters Hillary Baroud and Everton Bailey Jr. talk about the big races and important measures that stand out this year, particularly for Portland voters. We talked about Ted Wheeler versus Sarah Iannarone in the race for Portland mayor, the Secretary of State's race, Democrats' big attempt for a bent legislative seat, the police reform measure started by Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, and much more. Here's our conversation. Hillary Baroud, Everton Bailey Jr., thanks so much for taking time to talk today. Sure thing. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. There are so many things we could talk about with this election, but we figured it's probably best to do a lightning round, and I would ask, uh, kind of alternate between the two of you, talk about three topics or races you're interested in. Sound good? Yeah. Let's do this. Let's start with Hillary. Hillary, uh, statewide picture, what are you tracking? What's the first thing you you feel voters should uh, have on their radar? Well, the Secretary of State's race is probably, well, certainly going to be the most expensive and probably heated statewide race. Well, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say that. You know, actually, the the treasurer's race, uh, which I'm not personally covering, but uh, Tobias Reed, the Democrat, is running for re-election there, and he faces Jeff Goodman, um, is also, I think, probably a pretty competitive race. Mm-hmm. But in the Secretary of State's race, it's very high profile because uh, Democrats are trying to retake that seat from Republicans after, uh, I was just looking back at some of our old coverage, we referred to the Republican who won the Secretary of State seat in Oregon in 2016 as kind of a unicorn because it hadn't <laughs> been in Republican hands since 1985. So, so are we um, going to have two unicorns, basically? That's one of the questions. <laughs> uh, Will we have two unicorns? Yeah. So State Senator uh, Kim Thatcher, who's been in the legislature for many years, she is running for Secretary of State. And then she's Facing um, Shamia Fagan, also a state senator mm-hmm. who was elected in 2018. Uh, she'd been in the House for a couple terms before taking a brief break from politics. So they have been um, both running pretty hard now that we're in the fall. Shamia Fagan had a tight race. She won by a few thousand votes, less than a percentage point in the primary against two other Democrats. So, um, I think that's a really interesting race. There are some clear differences between them. One just being the amount of money. Fagan has raised this cycle about $1.9 million. Um, Part of that was because it was really competitive in the primary. Most Mm -hmm. of her money came from public employee unions in the state who uh, really got behind her when she entered the race in February. Kim Thatcher is around five or 600,000 in contrast. And she's, got some support from the 
um, timber industry, um, GOP donors, but on a much smaller scale. It seems like we have more of an ideological edge to this race than we have in in a bit. Um, you know, voters ultimately sent Richardson there uh, potentially as a check on on their other Democrats and all power power positions across the state. And now it seems like this is more of a traditional, you know, uh, Democrat versus Republican partisan fight. Well, you know, it's interesting with, with Dennis Richardson. I think he definitely ran on that idea of I'm going to be somewhat of a neutral secretary of state. It shouldn't be a very partisan um, office. But at the same time, he was definitely on the conservative end of the ideological spectrum. And I touched on this in the story um, that published today. But he and Kim Thatcher in that way are similar. Um, they are against abortion rights. They're supported by um, Oregon Right to Life. They are, uh, at least Thatcher is pro-gun rights. So some typical Republican conservative um, uh, ideas or ideology there. But she is not saying that she would make that a focus or... Um, operate based off of that ideology if she was Secretary of State. She's saying that the office should be run in more of a neutral manner versus um, Shamia Fagan during the primary. She was running on being the most left or progressive of the Democrats in that primary and she did win. Um, so that's that is uh, the potential that well, the Secretary of State makes a lot of key decisions um, on initiatives qualifying for the ballot, for example, there are certain things that are set in stone. Obviously, if it has enough signatures, it's going to qualify. But um, there are things that come up with the language, or whether it whether it really has a single subject that it's dealing with. That some of the process or technicalities um, certainly can run into accusations that a Secretary of State is partisan or favoring one group or another. And this uh, is obviously the seat that's next in line to the governor. So an important one. Yeah, right. Because our governor right now was secretary of state um, before she became governor when the last, the previous governor resigned. Everton, uh, so many possible <laughs> stories, both um, inside city hall and outside city hall here in Portland. What What's the first uh, race you, you want to highlight? I think it's safe to say that the main event of this Portland election cycle is the mayor's race. I mean, a lot of Portlanders are keyed in on it. There's some national attention too, considering the incumbent 10 Wheeler has been called a do nothing mayor and repeatedly criticized by President Donald Trump. You know, Wheeler faces Sarah Ann Arone, a urban policy consultant who's trying to beat him for the second time to be mayor. She was among the candidates four years ago when Wheeler was elected in the primary. Mm -hmm. I mean, in Wheeler, you, you have an incumbent who is really pushing the voters that the city needs stability heading into 2021 and beyond. You know, he knows how Portland's commission style of government works and doesn't work for the people. And he's been saying that that familiarity is necessary uh, to help the city continue progressing on continuing recovery efforts from COVID-19 and making more progress on racial justice and police reforms, addressing homelessness, housing issues and other challenges. And uh, you also have, uh, you know, the scenario where you have two possibly three new members of the city council come January. 
And he has really hammered to voters that experience matters and has painted his opponent as woefully unprepared for the challenges of being the mayor of Oregon's largest city. Um, in Iannarone, you have a challenger who has painted Wheeler as the status quo. And in a moment where you have Portlanders calling for transformative changes on the other side of all these challenges, you know, she's telling voters that Wheeler ain't it. Wheeler's yeah. not that guy. And, you know, while Wheeler has kind of towed the line and been, I think it's fair to say, inconsistent on his response to the nightly protests, Iannarone has taken more of a firm stance that she sides with protesters. Um, while both candidates have said that they've condemned violence, she has been the louder voice on condemning actions and tactics used by some police officers. Um, and Wheeler's, um, Wheeler's reluctance to be as clear has frustrated many people to the point where they've called on him to resign. Uh, to be fair, Wheeler, as the police commissioner, is part of the officer discipline uh, discipline mm -hmm. process. And it said that being critical of officers could harm uh, their due process, um, especially for officers who are under investigation for um, for alleged misconduct. So essentially the argument that uh, Sarah Anarone has made to the city and to voters is that the city's heading in the wrong direction and that the city needs more electeds in charge who can think more outside the box and that Wheeler can be... Uh, he can be an impediment to the ongoing uh, progress of, of Portland. Well, it's certainly the main event, like you said, here locally. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a recent poll that, that showed uh, some surprising uh, results, potentially, uh, I around with a double-digit lead, but also a lot of undecided voters. And, and, you know, things change every day, it seems. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have a case where, you know, I mentioned earlier, Wheeler, you know, won... Four years ago, he won in the primary outright. He won in May. This past May, he barely missed out on getting the 50% plus one to secure re-election. And yeah, and he's, he's in a pretty, you know, what could be a pretty close race. I mean, his uh, recent poll found his approval ratings have fallen to, you know, around 20%. Um, <laughs> I, I believe it was maybe 26%. Uh, percent and uh, you know and and that's amid his handling of the nightly protests, his oversight of the police bureau, and admittedly, I mean, he said it himself, a lack of campaigning, a lot, uh, you know, because he wanted to focus more on the city's COVID recovery and racial mm -hmm. justice and and police reforms. Um, but you know, we're five months in, people are still protesting out of concern that reforms won't go far enough, that police accountability. Um, Reforms, uh, also police accountability in real time, uh, you know, isn't isn't uh, up to snuff, and uh, and he's been taking criticism from all sides, and you know he's facing an opponent who has uh, outraised him in terms of fundraising, uh, partly because of the, um, the city's revamped public uh, public campaign financing system. Mm -hmm. uh, she's run a very aggressive campaign, uh, you know, whereas you know. He has barely done much um, and to the point where he's uh, he's loaned himself one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, which, well, which she has... this was a wasn't this a, a challenging year, to say the least, for Ted Wheeler on a personal level, too. Right. I mean, it has been. not to bring it up, but he's brought it up himself. No, he it, it is worth in, mentioning. in that debate. He brought that he brought it up in that debate that you um, co-moderated and in, in the most explicit way that I've heard so far 
It's it's very true. I mean, and and you know, all of those are very fair points. I mean, you know, uh, Commissioner Nick Fish uh, died in January of cancer. He and Commissioner Fish were very close. Obviously, that devastated him as well as people all around the city and 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 outside of the city as well. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been he went through a divorce that also was a problem, uh, and you know, and then everything related to COVID. Uh, you know, you've got the president of the United States who is constantly talking about you on Twitter and other and, you know, in different press conferences. You've also got um, all these protesters other challenges. Showing up at his own con- at protesters his condo. showing up at his condo. So, you know, he's had some real, real challenges that, you know, you can't necessarily anticipate as the mayor of Portland. I mean, I mean, no one anticipates all of those things happening as the mayor of Portland. So, um, and his mom passed away as well. And his, exactly. And his mom died as well. And so, uh, he's had some real challenges, real struggles, but still he's, he's here and he's telling people that he's, he wants to be in it for at least another four years. And it's a, like you mentioned, uh, Sarah, I owns, uh, you know, really, it's a testament to her uh, legion of followers that she's created, as well as her um, social media presence that she's really right in the thick of this, as well as um, all of the ideas that she's put out. So we'll see what happens uh, with the votes. Um, <clears throat> Hillary, what's the what's the second thing that quickly you'd want to highlight uh, that's caught your eye? Well, you know, I think um, I, I, I have also covered there's a measure on the ballot statewide this year, 107, that would um, amend the state constitution to just make it clear that contribution limits are allowed for campaigns um, and candidates. But I think that one of the interesting things is Oregon Democrats are always trying to expand, at least in recent years, you know, since they've had strong majorities in the legislature. They are always trying to expand their hold on power in the state legislature. They've already got super majorities in both chambers. It was not enough to keep Republicans from bringing everything to the halt to a halt um, three times in the last, I guess, a little over a year now. But in 20, 2019 and then again this year, they walked out and that was mostly to stop a climate change bill. But Democrats are really keen on taking in particular a house seat in bend and they are just going after this um republican representative out there who in some ways probably could be considered one of the increasingly few republican moderates in the state she's a former school board member out there sherry helt um but she's been raising a ton of money to try and defend her seat and uh probably a little bit less at risk as a senator out there, Tim Knope, who's also Republican, but there are more registered Democrats than Republicans in their districts at this point. Yeah. That's one of those uh, few purple ish districts in Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. Let's take a break and come back and talk more with Hillary Baroud and Everton Bailey Jr. Uh, Everton, um, you know, th- there's another city council race that's a, a pretty important one and come to Chloe Udaly and Mingus Maps. Um, is that another one that's one of your top uh, things you'd want to talk about? 100%. I mean, uh, you know, I think we should mention that, you know, this year was a very unusual election year. You know, you have five city council seats and four mm-hmm. of them uh, were up for, for election this year. Um, uh, 
Commissioner-elect Carmen Rubio won a seat in May, so she'll be succeeding Amanda Fritz, and she'll start in January. And uh, you got Commissioner Dan Ryan, who is currently on the council now. He is filling out the final term of late Commissioner Fish, and he was elected in August. And, you know, as we mentioned, the mayor's race. And uh, Commissioner Chloe Udaly is also running for re-election. She faces Mingus Maps, who is a former city employee, used to work under the uh, Office of Community and Civic Life, which Commissioner Udaly oversees. And uh, that's that could also potentially be a really close race. Um, you know, uh, Commissioner Udaly is kind of painted herself at this point as someone who, you know, is doing the work, has been here and is, uh, you know, doing the things that she said she was going to do um, when she ran four years, uh, four years ago and um, defeated Steve Novick, the incumbent at the time, you know, she was really big on renters protections. And very shortly after coming into office, she spearheaded renter protections, relocation assistance when yep. she came in. Uh, she's also done, um, more recently, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of work regarding, you know, bus only lanes around the city, the Rose Lane project. And so she has that track record going for her. Um, but she also has had, you know, several missteps. Um, heavy among them is, you know, the process of trying to revamp the city's neighborhood association system. Um, that led to, um, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, kind of a revolt from neighborhood associations. Um, and that, and as well as some other things, has led to people, you know, repeatedly calling her as divisive, including her opponent, who has criticized her managing style. Uh, Mingus has, you know, kind of painted himself as the champion of neighborhood associations, but more importantly, more of a bridge builder. He's described Commissioner Udaly as more of a bridge burner. Um, he's talked about how he, if he's elected, he would do more to build uh bring more people together and to get more of a consensus on things. Um, he's also talked about, uh, for example, you know, accepting a donation from the Portland Police Association mm -hmm. um, as saying that, you know, he got it because, you know, during his interviews, which Commissioner Udaly was also a part of, he was more willing to talk to the police bureau and come to a common ground. This is what he has said. Um, and so that has been kind of the main contrast between them. And he's a, uh, you know, a black man as well. So uh, he brings that perspective uh, to the job and to that whole discussion about police reform as well. Right. Exactly. He's, he's a black man with, who's very, you know, very educated and is raising two two sons mm -hmm. and also um you know it's 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 interesting because in an in a movement that we're in with you know with everyone saying that black lives matter and to elevate the voices of black people he at this point is the best chance to be the latest black person added to the city council uh which would be the only he would be the only the fourth person uh fourth black person elected to the city council um you know they've been you know contenders uh through all the races uh mm -hmm. but he is the you know last one standing for lack of a better way to describe it um to community activist teresa rayford there is a write-in campaign for her in the mayor's race she was on the ballot for the primary and she finished third um and you know while there is a lot of support for her write-in campaign uh 
winning as a write-in is very, very hard um, in Portland as well as anywhere else. So that's a bit of an uphill climb. So, um, yeah. so yeah, it's 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 very interesting that again in an era where you know people are screaming Black Lives Matter now more than ever, there may not be any Black people who are elected to the city council. Right, and obviously Joanne Hardesty is there um, and has led. This. Right, right. Yeah. Joanne Hardesty, the first Black woman elected to the City Council, she is there. Her term is up in two years. Um, and everything but, that's been uh, going on with Wheeler, it's kind of interesting how that has, um, well, and with the protests and stuff, Everton, I'd be interested to know what you think about how her political power has fluctuated with that and her relationship with Wheeler and how all that kind of the interplay of that. Well, I think a lot of it people are seeing in real time. Um, I think it's very rare to see the council as a whole unified other than, you know, seeing them at city council meetings. Um, Mayor Wheeler's mentioned it himself that he's been trying to do too much by himself. And since then, he still has press conferences where he is the only member of the city council <laughs> that that attends. Um, you know, that that was apparent even this past week where, you know, there were demonstrations that um, keyed in on the Oregon Historical Society led to serious damages there. Well, the next day he had a press conference. The police chief was there. Uh, Representative Sanchez was there. Uh, the executive director of the Oregon His- uh, Historical Society was there. But all the other members of the council, they they issued their own statements afterwards. Um, they weren't there. And um, yeah. it, it, speaking specifically to Commissioner uh, Hardesty and Mayor Wheeler, I think, you know, very early on, you know, around the budget uh budget talks in June and May, it was very clear that they were very tight. Um, you know, he even mentioned before they adopted the budget that he was deferring to Commissioner Hardesty. I'm sorry, Mayor Wheeler was deferring to Commissioner Hardesty on a lot of the, you know, city reform ideas around racial justice and police reform. And since then, um, you know, with the federal officers coming in, and, uh, you know, other things occurring as well, such as, you know, Commissioner Hardesty, you know, accusing officers of possibly setting fire to, mm-hmm. you know, the police, the police union building and, and other things. I mean, there, there's been a very notable rift between them. She has repeatedly called for, uh, being put in charge of the police bureau, even though the mayor has repeatedly said he will not give it to her. Um, she has come out with her own plan on what she would do. Um, part of that plan has been to, uh, replace, uh, police chief Chuck Lavelle and start a national search for a new chief that she feels would be more in line with the visions that her and uh, other commissioners want to see um, take place in terms of how they reimagine public safety in the city. Um, and so it's, it's a very noticeable rift. Um, it's something that I think is very clear to Portlanders Um you know, and I and I think it it I think it definitely has it gives people a lot of anxiety, frankly. In one way or another, it's going to change, right? It's either going to be a uh, a new mayor uh, piecing together a new council, or you know, Mayor Wheeler uh, continuing and and uh, with with a new potentially some new faces, uh, as well as Carmen Rubio, right, um, tackling all these issues. 
I mean, any any way this any way that the cro- the cookie crumbles here, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Portland come twenty twenty one. Man, I could go for a cookie right now, but um, let's go <laughs> well, to Hillary. Andrew, <laughs> um, I was wondering, Andrew, I was wondering if there's any races that you have been particularly um, found interesting. I know you've definitely covered some that are getting pretty contentious, and there's a lot of back and forth. Well, yeah, I'm the transportation reporter as in my other job, and obviously there's a you know a, a payroll tax on employers that would fund billions in transportation projects that has really become a polarizing issue and and you know it's it's you know it, this is the southwest light rail corridor the expansion down to bridgeport village uh it's been on the books for decades never been super popular um and ultimately was shoehorned into this measure because um it wasn't going to be something that stood on its own and so there's been this whole creation of a package that is designed to appeal to a little bit of everything from across the metro area never pulled well before the pandemic uh then the pandemic struck um hasn't pulled well since then and uh, ultimately that mechanism the payroll tax on employers um you know drew the opposition um before metro opted to put it to voters from the portland business alliance from uh, the statewide business group um that is its uh its partner organization and you know really there's a ton of money behind it opposing this and um it's really going to be fascinating to see what happens because there's a lot of projects involved that who knows what happens you know who knows if the trimet um light rail line isn't approved uh, does that put them out of step funding wise for years um are they out of step funding wise regardless because uh, uh the trump administration has made clear they aren't inclined to fund projects in the portland area um is that bluster or is there truth to that who knows there's a lot of <laughs> uncertainty there and that measure um is really going to be key uh on on election night and here in the days and and weeks to come yeah i mean it's interesting because Right now, a lot of people, of course, are not riding public transit, too. So it's right. not a service that so many people are using, even if it seemed um, really crucial. Yeah, like, I'm, more I'm than six months ago now that we've I'm, been in this different world. I'm curious to see what happens because, you know, people I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago where, you know, people in theory love TriMet, right? They, you know, people people are proud of, of TriMet, but, you know, ridership has been down for a long time, um, pre-pandemic, it was starting to creep back up, funded in part by you know the service expansions that um, the legislature passed in in uh, 2017, which was a, a payroll tax uh, on employees that helped raise that money to add service. But you know, it's something that uh, is really going to be put to the test. I mean, how much do people love their transit system, especially during a pandemic? Um, let's go one more lightning round, Hillary. What's the last? race or measure or issue you're going to be tracking in the the days and weeks leading up to election night? Well, I'm always interested in following the money in, in Oregon politics. And so it's definitely interesting to me that we have this measure on the ballot that would amend the Constitution to allow uh, more mandates on disclosing who's paying for ads, making it really clear, even though there's a legal question right now that might be decided in the court's um, over whether the the state Supreme Court appears to have ruled 
that actually campaign contributions are already legal right now, Mm -hmm. but um, supporters of this constitutional amendment want voters to pass it just so that it's clear going forward that they're definitely legal. So I'm interested to see, even if in, in anticipation of this, if there's any change in behavior from groups that spend big on politics in Oregon, largely the public employee unions, um, certainly some, there are some big individual Republican donors, although without a gubernatorial race this year, they're not, um, you're not seeing such big numbers there. And, you know, the business lobby, our groups kind of going to start to change how they're spending, just playing around with things in anticipation that there might be limits. Um, and I'll be really interested to follow what happens with it, that over the next year or so. Everton, what's uh, what's the last thing on your radar that you'd want to talk about? There are a couple of other Portland-centric ballot measures. You know, there's the five-year tax levy that would give the Parks and Recreation Bureau almost $240 million over five years. But I think the one that is going to catch a lot of attention is um, Measure 26. 217, which is uh, a ballot measure that would create a new community oversight police board. I mean, it would actually create, you know, just a framework of it in the city charter. There would then be another 18 months to flesh out the details, mm-hmm. like how many people would be selected to the oversight body and uh, how long their terms would be. But the purpose of it would be to give civilians more powers when it comes to police accountability, such as the ability to compel officers to testify in cases of alleged misconduct and to discipline officers deemed to have committed misconduct, including firing officers, which is a power that currently uh, isn't uh, had by the current civilian oversight group, which is the Independent Police Review. And that's currently overseen uh, by the city auditor. And speaking of the auditor, uh, the auditor and also the Portland Police Association, which is the union that represents the majority of city officers, uh, they have been the biggest uh, opponents of uh, of this plan and have publicly opposed it. Uh, the police union has called it potentially illegal and that it violates their contract with the city. Uh, the auditor has said that there are other factors at play that's going to hamper this new potential system and any other new system that's put in place uh, from achieving true transparency and police accountability, um, such as the police union contract, uh, state law and city code. Um, the police union contract, by the way, is, is uh, up for negotiation in right. January. Um, Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, who's been the architect for the ballot measure and its its main supporter, uh, says that she believes that if this measure passes, that over time, uh, over these 18 months, the other pieces will fall into place to allow this new system to work as it's intended. Um, but as I said, um, it's a lot of different pieces that have to fall. And so that has been um, part of the concern. Well, there's just so much to talk about and so much for voters to think about uh, as they get their ballots and vote from their homes or apartments or wherever they are uh, in their cars. We're drinking coffee, wearing pajama pants, so you got to love the vote-by-mail system. Yep. Everyone should just get out there and vote, whether you walk down to the local ballot drop site or put it in the mail early. As hopefully I'm, I have not received my ballot yet. I know you have Andrew because you tweeted about it. I have, yeah. Well, um, I got it today, and we're talking uh, Thursday afternoon. Um, well, thank you both for sharing your expertise and uh, 
I will quote unquote see you uh, on election night, I guess. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Everybody vote. Please vote. Get out there and vote. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the program. Until next time. 